Hi, everybody. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, whichever time zone that you're in. Welcome back for another episode of The Current Status. I'm Pumla Schmidt, also known as Exchange Goddess out there on the Twitters. And I'm joined by my lovely co-hosts. Ladies, introduce yourselves. Yeah, so glad to be here. My name is Teresa Miller. You can find me on the Twitters at 24by7ITConnect. Hi, everyone. My name is Holly Lehman. I am so happy to be a co-host on today's show. You can find me on Twitter at Lehman underscore underscore Holly. I look forward to connecting with everybody. And the most important part of today's topic is our guest host, Patrick Hubbard. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are delighted to have you once again. Hey, well, being a part of the current status is one of my favorite things to do. So as always, thanks for having me be a part. So we're here to talk about home labs or no, yes, home labs. I want to make sure because I've got like these <laughs> and all sorts of stuff in my head. So home labs, this has been, in, in, I guess, a, a topic lately, especially with the cloud. Is there a purpose form anymore? I mean, I haven't really had a home lab in years. I, <laughs> I Well, I hear you. So I think it's a really great question to talk about today because I have... I did. I have had the home lab. I have a server at home that is now three years old and has become a paperweight. So in my mind, it's a complete waste of money at this point. I am a fan of cloud too, but you know, I'd actually really love to hear Patrick's perspective on this. We, you know, we brought you on as kind of an independent mind and what yeah. do you think? Well, I think you just hit on it. Like you, you said, it's been three years and it's a paperweight. So you're basically describing the IT hardware refresh cycle, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you're gear only, only without the advantages, the tax advantage of being able to fully depreciate it, right? Um, yeah, it, I think it really depends. And maybe the question to ask is, what do you hope to do with it, right? Like, so maybe that's where people should start. Are you, are you filling a, a gap that you simply can't um, meet if you're not on-prem? Like if you want to be able to work from home or something else where you just simply need to have gear or is it something that's a part of your skills development? And so that's actually career development and you're gaining new, uh, gaining new skill or maybe you're learning to develop or you want to learn an adjacent, uh, adjacent technology. Um, maybe that's where to start. And then you can kind of back in, well, do you do it with hardware or you do it with cloud or maybe even a service? That's a really good point, because when, you know, I think we all spend a lot of time on Twitter or at least enough. Right. And, and so we should be sometimes I, I well, I saw a tweet recently where someone was like, so who does the hardware thing? Like who has a home lab? And there were like there was like person after person after person still doing the physical hardware home, you know, home lab thing. And it was you know, it's kind of like some of the microphone conversations we had, like, I mean, it was like, whose was bigger and better and more exciting. And I mean, it was really fascinating <laughs> to just kind of watch as a bystander, because I didn't want to spoil anybody's mood by saying, well, I love cloud for my lab. <laughs> oh, I, I, so I see both sides of the fence on this where, yes, home labs, great. I see a lot of the virtualization community doing their home labs, but with the cloud, it's kind of like, if I need something, I'm just going to spin something up in Azure. Yes. That was a shout out to my employer. <laughs> I'm going to spin our, up right? our employer. <laughs> our employer. Like, yeah. So I'm just going to spin up and you know, you can create a free account. And then like when I'm done with it, I'm just going to shut it down. Now, when you have your own on premises, 
underneath your desk lab, you don't have to worry about the pricing and things like that, where the cloud, you kind of, you know, you have to keep an eye on it, right? Because if it's running constantly, you will be charged for it. So there is kind of that, that kind of, you know, that balancing act. But don't forget the electric bill. You need to have an on-premises environment from a lab perspective, unless you're doing something specific. Do you find that a lot of that decision ends up being like how close you are to the hardware? I think, Teresa, you were just talking about, you know, if you're working with VMware, for example. So if you're deploying, mm -hmm. a, yeah. if you're if you're learning how to deploy Hyper-V clusters or uh, vCenter, well, then having that hardware is really important because you're really starting with the metal and kind of working your way up. If you're focused more on what you do with a containerized workload or a VM, is, is that what really has added this flexibility to then choose where you want to run it? That's a really good point. So when I did the last server I bought anyways, was for virtualization. It was to be able to deploy vSphere and host my entire own environment. And then I was even kicking off workloads that would allow me to migrate certain applications to the cloud. And so it was a way to learn how to do those things on my own. Um, but I, I not that I don't need to learn it anymore. I mean, there's always more to learn. I just think that um, at this point with the cloud, kind of going back to what Pumala said, I mean, I have my Azure subscription um, mm -hmm. and, you know, I spin things up, spin things down. I mean, I have, except my Active Directory, I keep my Active Directory online. And so it's, I don't know, it's, it's just there and it just works. And I, I don't, I guess I don't feel like I need to deploy vSphere again. Oh, we have a comment here from John Flores. He said he did his VCP sk exam skills with nested virtualization on the beefy laptop a few years ago. You know, a lot of us did that. That's... Like, yeah, I mean, back then, laptop, I mean, you, you can do it with laptop. It's going to be super slow. I remember doing it with my laptop and my son's laptop, actually both my son's laptop, and I had this little environment running. It was so cool, but at, at the same time, I'm like, oh, that's just a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. I came really clear, really close to building a, a server for GNS3. I wanted to work on a couple of Cisco servers, and um, I, I got real close. It was a, it was a perfect use case for doing it. And then I discovered that for about thirty bucks a month, I could actually subscribe to a service, and they would host it plus sample data mm -hmm. plus everything else for me. And I ended up doing that. And at the time I thought, well, I'm just being lazy. But then I'm like, well, no, I'm following the basic model of I'm only going to need this thing for a couple of months. And the cost that it would act that would actually be involved in setting up a real lab and the amount of time versus click a button and in 15 minutes it's up and running, that decision to actually use services in cloud. I mean, I, I started developing a lot with AWS pretty early on and then really heavily five years ago with Azure now. And so I, I just don't have a reason to go back. So maybe that's it. Is that if you're doing hardware, especially if you're doing networking or something, or maybe a lot of work, you do like a lot of work with storage, maybe. But then yeah. it, there almost feels like there's this services concentration. I mean, a good example of that would be Flash, right? Where you're mm. you're, you're not talking about SAN or DAS. You're talking about an appliance that's actually munging together direct attached or what, what would have been direct attached. So physical disk plus flash, which would be incredibly expensive, plus cloud, plus a number of other storage options. Are you going to be able to bring that kind of appliance into your, into your actual house? Right. Probably not. Right. That's going to maybe you're going to have to rent time on somebody else's machine. So that's an interesting point. You know, one of the other things too, like I was, um, 
I was trying to start working with GPUs in my server, but I had already bought the server before I knew what GPU would become available to me. It was through one of the communities. And, and so it didn't end up working out. So there's that whole like, okay, so I'm doing this for my own professional development. But when you're talking about servers and GPUs, you're talking about thousands of dollars. And so at this point in my career, I can go play with GPUs in the cloud. I just, there's that cost tied to it, right? Mm -hmm. But let let somebody else pay for that back end infrastructure. And then I just pay a small portion of it when I need to do it, as opposed to having to take on that, all that overhead um, and then continually update. Yeah, uh, I mean, you guys know Tom LaRock, right? Uh, SQL Rockstar. He, he was actually doing a, a bunch of the uh, Microsoft machine learning labs. And one of them, it was a model, model training exercise. And he was actually running it on his Mac and it was running pretty well. And then he pushed it up into Azure into a regular um, instance. And the thing just ran terribly. Yeah. And he added a GPU and the thing ran really, really well again. So what he discovered was, oh, the base instance, the base Windows instance doesn't have the same, he, the, the Mac was taking advantage of the GPU that was actually built onto the laptop, mm -hmm. right? So you were getting that speed advantage of having the hardware. So a lot of it ends up being, I think as in terms of useful, usefulness, as much about like, you got to really invest time and in understanding for these cloud resources how to tune those resources, like what resources to add to instances where, to your point, Teresa, you can get that advantage of burst ability to, mm -hmm. to do something that you couldn't do on-prem, but that doesn't then eat your personal OPEX. Uh, right. So, so I have something kind of off topic a little bit. So with what I do, I work with customers and partners a ton. And I, I come from more of the, the storytelling side of the tech world. And I'm, I'm learning that COVID or not, but it is impacting the way people are looking at their migration experience. And, and they are, they've become very more attuned to how do I back up? What's the best way to back up? And so when we think about people with home labs and the, the fact that they're using it for all different reasons, they're storing all different things. Some are using VMs, some are not. You talked about networking. There's just a variety of reasons that they've got these home labs. What would be your recommendation on the best way to back up with your home lab? Oh my God, that's a, like that's an awesome question because people forget you should back up your labs. Like I, I think you should, especially if you're working on something important. Like, what are your thoughts, Patrick? Well, and especially because you're doing that work nights and weekends. So that's not the same value. It is a high value. You decided to do something out to do that, to invest in working on and configuring and building like yep. the specifics of something workable at home. So I would say, first of all, it's, it's actually more valuable than something that's either from your office or something that's, that's you know, part of your regular work. Well, from your office, you already know it's backed up, right? And I think that what you would hope, you would yeah. hope. We, we but never I'll, assume, right? Never that's assume. Another, this is no. a whole nother conversation. Absolutely. I open Pandora's box. But, so, but what I would say is I think that when people are home, they think, oh, I feel safe. I'm at home. But when you've yeah. got all of this personal project work, you're not. Mm -hmm. You're not safe. And so that's just what made me think of picking your brain on, on the backup. Well, and I love your question there because I think I think you you hit the topic, which is backup. And I think cloud backup, like the first time that I ever had a uh, AWS instance where uh, they lost an EBC volume. I hadn't backed it up. And I get this notice like, hey, we're going to be unable to recover your volume. I'm like, what? 
well, no, 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 the cloud is magical. Nothing ever. <laughs> so right. I think a big part of that is to sort of, you know, apply the same discipline that you would at work to your home lab. You should treat it the same way. So whether it's a cloud resource or a service, or in the case, Teresa, of, you know, your uh, AD instance, which is your root with, you know, a, a forest, a tree that you put together a long time ago and irreplaceable certificates that, you know, that can never be regenerated. You should have as thorough a backup strategy as, as you normally would, especially because that's one of those skills that you really need to learn, right? So like for me, mm -hmm. I've got, I make sure that my Azure resource uh, backups are in place. And then I've got, so I've got like, I don't know, maybe eight U of network gear hanging out of the laundry room somewhere. I mean, it's all ubiquity these days. I, I'm a walking advertisement for them lately, but um, I have a Synology and I love that thing. And what I really like about that is you could say, well, you don't have a home lab, but you got a Sam. Well, what I love about that thing is that it runs Docker. And okay. so in addition to the services that are on it, I take, because as a part, a big part of your lab, especially if you're doing software, it's going to be your laptops or your workstations where you're actually developing code and that are the client end of the, your connection to the cloud. Um, if you're Visual Studio Code, you're doing a lot in Go, you're doing a lot, like just basic, you know, Git archive and the rest of it, you, you need to back that up as well. So you're essentially doing client backups locally. You're doing on-prem mm -hmm. backups to a thing. And then that, in my case, my Synology becomes my backup client. So then it is taking a structured set of directories and it pushes them up to AWS and, and to my OneDrive. So oh. I have two copies and then it has um, some of the um, storage is, is, you know, RAID is just mirrored RAID. And then I've got a couple of JBODs that do secondary backups. And then I've got a fire, one of those fire safe drives on the floor underneath that takes the most critical data that I don't want to lose. And it occasionally backs that up to that. So I think part of that is just it it it's a it makes me worry less that that time investment in your home lab, which is really the value. I mean, hardware is nice, but the home lab, like its functionality, the its usefulness, its ability to take an idea that you have for the office or maybe something where it's something you want to try, it's a new skill you want to gain, to be able to sit down, it's ready to go, and then you can capture the value of all of that work. That might be the best thing about a home lab, and so. Backup is a critical part of that because that's how you capture all of that knowledge that you've created using whatever that environment is. But I would say if we were to walk out of this question with just like one tip and trick, I would say that you nailed it by saying, don't just use one option for backup. You named like five different options. And I think that that's so important that we don't just put 100% trust in one thing and go, oh, we're backed up and we're okay. We're in, like you said, we're in the cloud. It doesn't break, it all breaks. And so I think that if our audience is listening, that would be the biggest thing is find multiple ways and avenues of backing up. Yeah. But protection, pr protecting your investment, right? right? Protecting your data, the investment, that blood, sweat, and tears, all the hard work that you put into it. I mean, it's just like in the, in the enterprise, uh, we would go through these scenarios of um, whether we need to back up because we wanted to reduce how much data we were backing up because it was storage. And we would go through, and I remember, um, you know, we'd get to the, the labs and the, the test servers and we would literally sit down with each area that owned the test server and go, do we need to back this up? How important is this? Are you going to go, are you going to be going uh, live soon? Do you have any type of production on here? Because just because it's a, a test server doesn't mean it's not in production because sometimes that's very misleading. And oftentimes we, we would find that we would actually having to end up uh, backing up um 
test servers and in test environments because it was, you know, they were testing stuff that was going to go into production soon. And we wanted to make sure that that was safe. That might so be not good. to totally like take us off to data protection, because as you probably saw, we are going to talk about data protection in just a few weeks. But that whole test example, Pumala, is is spot on, whether it's your home lab or it's your enterprise, stuff will still happen. I actually ended up working somewhere that made that decision not to back up their test environment. And I was too new, I, I you know, to even catch on. I didn't realize it. And so you're talking about even like home synologies. The, there were 100 disks that failed within like hours of each other in that that SAN. And so, uh, Patrick, I love hearing that even like your home lab, your the one that you have, it has different elements of backup because I don't ever want anyone to go through the pain that me and my team did trying to recover from something like that, where there was so much time put into and maybe, maybe and it was just gone. Well, I was gonna say, maybe that's the real core value of a home lab is the sense of possession, right? Because at work, it's always going to be a little bit arbitrary. It's owned by someone else. You manage it. But when it is your stuff, the the thought process that Puma was just talking about, about like what needs to be back, what's the highest priority data, what would I want to be able to have um, a, a shorter time to recovery? What do I need to test more in terms of recoverability? Or am I okay trusting a service that I click a box and it tells me it's backed up? Those thought processes are the value of a home lab. Those are the things that you're learning that are real skills beyond just sort of technical ability with any one particular tool or technology. And so that might really be the home value of a lab, no matter how it's actually deployed, is that you own it. And it's going to naturally drive that those kinds of those sorts of experiences and decision making that your business actually cares about in the systems that you manage. Well, and if you think about the benefit that people gain out of a test environment, how many bugs that are found, how many updates need to be made. And, and when we think about, you know, all the different tap programs that are out there in the technical world, they're there and they're impactful because they find things before they go into production. I mean, that's the obvious. So when you think about when you go to work, you're working on some project that, you know, you, you may or may not have this huge passion for. But when it's your home lab, there's this added investment that you have. And so when you think about your storage, your test environment, you want to keep all of that because what you find in that test piece might be really valuable for when you do go into production or whatever you're creating. And so I think that there is something really important for not just knocking a test environment, but really thinking about all the learnings that you're you're capturing out of that. Yeah. Or you're going to you're going to train a model, right? And it's tied to your credit card. Do I need it right now? Or am I willing to wait 10 hours for it to, for it to, to complete its uh, ingest, right? Well, now you're going to be at the office and someone is going to say to you, how large do our instances need to be? How many GPUs do we need to add? And you are going to affect OPEX. If you've been through that exercise at home, you're going to be able to make a much better recommendation and ask questions like, when are you going to need the data set? How long is this, this import process supposed to be? And so you're going to be able to provide much more informed decisions, especially for OPEX and cloud-related billing, because it's been tied to your credit card and you've made those same decisions at home. Well, and if it's a, if it's in a home lab, you are in a different environment. Your, your mind is 100% focused on what you're doing with that home lab versus being at work and you're working on a project and you have this and that. 
but what you're learning, you're ingesting it, I believe, in a deeper format. It's your own. So when you're investing in it with your own money, it's a lot different. It, and passion. It's, it's like going, it's like when you pay yourself to go to college or pay where you, you are paying your way for college rather right. than your parents or somebody else. Right. It's your hard earned money. It is a lot different. Um, I, I'm going to admit well, my first time around in college, uh, I partied a lot. Okay. Surprise. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know how many college students parties, that okay? don't. <laughs> you jumped out of a two story window at one point. Um, okay. But, we need to hear that story on the next podcast. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah. My kids will be like, Mom, what did you do? You're a boomer. You don't do that. Um, my second time around, though, I paid my own way. I was a single mother with two kids. I needed to further my education into something that I wanted to do. So it, it was my own money. And I worked my butt off. I graduated with honors, dean's list, you name it, you know, and just completely different where it was like, oh this is my money um, or my loan that I'm taking versus, you know, something else where it was like kind of taking care for me. Like I didn't see it. And it's like the home lab or even my streaming PC. This is my hard earned money that I'm paying for. I can touch and feel it. So I'm going to take care of it. Uh, you know, it's, it's my investment. Yeah. yeah. It's your, it's your investment in yourself. And well, well, I was going to say the other thing about that, uh, is that employers can feel that, right? Like if you, if they can just kind of psychically tell whether you view the way that your relationship with their assets, and if you feel the same kind of ownership, if you're making the same kind of decisions and to your point of like, what are we going to do to get value out of our infrastructure instead of these are fun toys to play with and whatever, I don't care. Like if the, if, one of the great things that come, can come out of that sense of ownership that you're describing, whether it's you're paying your way through college or the home lab that you work with and you're thinking about cost and the importance of backup, is that they can tell at work that you are bringing that same level of a sense of shared ownership to the work that you do. And that makes you incredibly valuable because we as technologists are making the decisions about what is deployed and what is operating and whether or not IT is going to meet its transformation, cost management, and all of the other goals. And so that might be the biggest thing that comes out of having a home lab is that you gain a sense of ownership of technology. And then that carries with you in your character into the work that you do as a professional. Oh, I, I, I totally agree. I, I remember um, in previous lives, old equipment or old servers, I'd be like, Hey, can I have that? Let's, have that. You know, let, let, let's have a, a lab area here in one of the empty cubes. And we would set stuff up and, and, you know, and play around. And, you know, it's to be honest, I kind of, I kind of miss that, but, with the cloud though, it's kind of like, can we spin up another subscription? Right. Well, and there's a lot of trials and stuff too. Like if you oh, really yeah. don't need it long-term, if you just need it short-term, I forget if it's 30 or 90 days with a standard trial, like you can spin it up and all let the it disappear. All, all the cloud providers have, you know, trials mm -hmm. and, you know, um, free services, Azure, AWS, Google. We all offer because they so want much. you, they, we, uh, they oh, want yeah. you to try this stuff and use it. it. You know, it, it's and usually once you're testing something, you, you find that thing that you love or that you need 
And that's why they do it is because then you realize like, oh, I can use this I for X, Y, and Z. This. Exactly. Well, yeah. well, it's like the whole crack dealer, you know. <laughs> okay, so, so to that point, I'm getting you on the comeback. Um, so one thing that will happen a lot of times with folks is that, and fortunately we have two uh, Azure experts on board here, is that if you are doing a lot with a lab, especially if it's a home cloud lab, you will find yourself in between free tier and actually having to pay for research. Mm -hmm. Sure. I, I think I think that's with anything though, with any service. For example, we're using StreamYard, right? And we were I was using the free tier, but this past week I upgraded to the paid tier because right. there was just a little bit more that I wanted. Right. And it's like, okay, and, and this is a, a test. And I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm willing to fork out the twenty five dollars a month. Right. To try this out. If I don't like it, I can pull it back. Um with cloud with cloud though, there is a danger. Right? Oh, like, yes. You will sometimes say, okay, for the next day, <laughs> I'm going to spin up a 64 gig multi-proc monster with an attached GPU and some extra storage. And I'm going to do this one shot thing. I'm going to spend 25 bucks on it. And then I'm going to turn the thing off. If this sounds like a career limiting OPEX story, you know, we're kind of headed down that path. Only it's your credit card, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you all manage that like because that is one thing that I, I i definitely would caution people on is with the labs if you were using the cloud's capability of burst use how do you audit to make sure that you don't oops forget after you go have some margaritas to turn off that test instance that you swore you were only going to run for 24 hours so i, I actually uh, oh, sorry yeah, I know Holly has stuff to say about that too. So okay. I think all three of us do. So, so we'll all, we'll all answer that question. So, um, so my lab, um, actually, thankfully, uh, because of the Microsoft MVP, I get certain level of credits. Um, so I don't always have to sit in the free tier, but I have to be very cost conscious. Now there are tools in in Azure specifically, but they all have it. Google, AWS, all have it that can alert you. Well, I didn't have my alerting, and and I had spun a bunch of stuff up and all of a sudden I'm getting an email that like everything's shut down. And I was like, Oh no, like, I mean, I need my tenant. Like, and they're like, you know, the domain's shut down. You got to add your credit card. And I'm like, okay, so I make a phone call and they're like, well, you can, you know, we can bring it back. Or if you just wait till the 30 day mark, uh, like you could put the credit card on and we can start charging you again. Or if you wait till 30 days, it'll, it'll come back and reset with your credits as long as you shut all your resources down. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to just shut everything down. And I deleted what I didn't need. I deleted that monster <laughs> that I didn't need that I forgot to delete. <laughs> and then I just waited. Like, I think I had a couple weeks. Um, it was the longest couple weeks ever, but I survived. <laughs> I was just going to say, can we just like look at um, P. Brad's comments? I think they're hilarious and spot on. But um, my story was actually very, very eerily similar to your story, Teresa. And it wasn't for me personally, but I, I have a good friend who's an MVP and did the exact same thing. And he went through all of his credits for like for the year. And then it became this. Oh, no, it was bad. He yeah, he forgot to close out some VMs that he was running in a lab. And next thing you know, like whatever the full credit was, it was gone. And so we went to go prep for what was to be in Prague and we were gonna run a demo and it was, um, hey Holly, can you 
I'll use your lab because like I, 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 I I've got nothing right now. And oh, so gosh, I, I know who that is. Now, now I can, I can bust. Oh, oh, go ahead and rest. Go ahead. But I mean, I think that it was, it is the, the other side of, a, you know, the, the trial run is that if you forget and you've got these VMs running. And so I think for, for everyone, it's a little different. I don't know if it's an alert, if it's a spreadsheet, I mean, everybody functions a bit differently. Um, some people have so many alerts happening that they just ignore all of them, which is yeah, also the white noise. a bad idea. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. So what I was going to say is with Azure, um, we do have uh, the cost management utility and we've got Azure Advisor that can set those alerts for you and you could set up budget thresholds and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, or you can write scripts that shut shit down. That, yeah. that yeah. is it. Shut you shit use, down. For <laughs> Azure, you can use Azure functions and then and I rec and a recommendation would be to use tags. So for me, like, I'll, I'll create a tag that's, ba that's based like die by day. Right. And so I'm essentially using that as a custom property. And then my script runs through everything that's running. And if it is past that die by date time, it'll shut it down. Um, mm. Then you forget that. Right. And so basically, Good. and the nice thing too is there, it's more of, you're more of a deterministic in a capture, moment of capturing that intent when you create the instance. Right. So when you bring that instance up, you are saying at the time, while you're thinking about how long am I going to need this thing, you've said it. Um, so one, you remember that it's, it should run that long and you can audit that later and reset it and restart it. And some of my scripts, if you change the date and it's asleep, it'll run again and wake it back up again. But, but then you capture it and you don't forget it. So it's not on a spreadsheet. You don't have to worry about every day at three 30, I log back in and go through my, my instances. And especially when you start using, uh, blueprints or other mechanisms to deploy an entire, um, uh, set of, set of resources and infrastructure at a time. Being able to set that to be able to down all of those resources at once, scripts are definitely the way to go there. So Patrick, I feel like we've talked a lot about a lot of really great things. It sounds like we've picked up on the fact that you have some stuff at home, you have some stuff in the cloud. What are your use cases for your different lab environments? Oh yeah, okay. So, um, uh, so uh, Black Camp a couple of years ago um, and as much, for my own edification as anything else, I wanted to try deploying a set of resources to AWS, GCP, on-prem, and um, Azure that were all uh, co-communicating. And I had a mix of express route and VPNs and a bunch of other connectivity. And really what I was studying was the effect of naming services on Windows applications, right? Especially for apps that are really good at discovering names and details and IP addresses, right? Like, and that was what came out of that was, that lab exercise was that naming is one of the most overlooked, you know, it always is DNS in the root, right? But that naming is one of those things that cloud still is, it's a, it's a big challenge with cloud for a lot of people, especially if you're used to on-prem, who are used to kind of a, a normalized directory structure. And maybe, you know, they've got just a really well-defined IP address range uh, subnet plan, right? So um, for that, I ended up setting up a instances of cloud in Australia because I wanted to generate a bunch of latency. And then I had um, multiple replications and like a diversity of, of cloud resources that there was no possible way that I could have built in terms of VMs sitting on a box at home. Um, but for the home side of that, I actually dragged a box home, <laughs> dragged a box home, plugged it in on my network and then had it VPNed out into the into the various endpoints. And so it had an active directory and it replicated a lot of the, the mm -hmm. uh, architecture that you would typically, well, 
tiny piece of representative architecture that you would see in an enterprise. And so in that case, I was using my home lab to bypass the restrictions that I would have had at work for the firewall, right? Like if I wanted to take the big um, Hyper-V machines that you know we have running back at office, just clusters and clusters and tons of amazing resources that are available, but then punch enough holes through corporate policy and, and reasonable policy, might I add, because if you're a developer working inside of an enterprise, you, sorry, you're gonna have to follow policy. But the lab was, I was able to get done in hours that probably would have taken a week of asking for permissions and asking for exceptions because you don't know, especially with connectivity, what ports you're gonna need. And you don't know a lot of the details about host names or anything else. So each one of those would have required an exception. So being able to do that in a home lab, what I got out of that was I took what would have been two weeks of, of work and brought that down to a weekend and then was able to get back to focusing on the storytelling and content and education that was the point of the thing in the first place. So it seems like it's helped you uh, actually not only learn for yourself, but more, it's almost like professional development. It's helped you at work quite a bit, even though you're doing that at home. So that's awesome. Yeah. So I think we're going to work on wrapping things up today. So um, thank you so much for joining us, Patrick. Always, always, always. Thank you so much for having me. It's always good to see y'all. It's always I want to say thank you to the people that joined the call today. That was awesome. And I love all of the IM conversations. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 fun. Like and I do have to say it's very difficult to be presenter and production crew because I'm like, wait, I'm gonna respond and I'm looking over here and I'm like yeah, like your your multitasking is on a whole nother level. Well, we are still trying platforms and stuff. So just for the audience, I think and this one seems to be working the best and we'll get you, we'll get us working. We'll take turns doing the production. So, cause that's a lot to put on you. Hey, it's the reboot, right? I'm just, yeah, I I'm know. just happy that we're back. And yeah. uh, you know, it, it was a couple of years that we took off cause of life, life happens, mm -hmm. but um you know, it's just, it's nice to be back and, you know, with Teresa and, and we've got Holly. So it, mm -hmm. this is great. Uh, I think the community really needs something um, like this again, where we're just, we're, we're back together, right? People are talking, we're communicating, um, just spreading lots of technology love. And I would say for those that are listening, I don't know if you ladies are up for this, but I think for those that are listening, if there is a technical topic that you think would be impactful or something that you want to hear about like tell us on tell us on twitter like reach out to the current staff yes. or one of us individually Absolutely. and because ideally this whole concept is for you um so definitely reach out to us and patrick yes. thank you you're so good you're so great with your advice and your tips and tricks um it's always nice to like work with you and, and hear what you have to say yeah and if if I we agree. can't get an episode in i've got my wall uh, the water coolers wednesdays and fridays at 3 p.m eastern time uh, those are a little bit more casual than the current status. So, you know, if you do have a suggestion, we can have that in the water cooler time too. So, yeah, those yeah. are really fun. And it's also a great chance for folks to participate too. So I know. Yes, that's where we bring the community in. Unfortunately, we can only have six people in the stream. I believe we might be able to get more. I got to double check on the paid tier, but yeah, you're right. That's a chance the community can join and it's their voices and they're meeting each other. And that, that was my whole thing about having a, a water cooler type stream where it's instead of just us talking where it's a two way street. Yeah, that's awesome. 
I, I, I have yet to join one. I will soon. Patrick, have you been on one? I, I have. It was yeah. really, really fun. And are especially you, because it's, they're, you know, they're, they're not just more informal. They're also not, I mean, they're recorded, but they're, they're more um, about what it's like to be a part of the technology community. And it's a little mm -hmm. bit, they're, they're really, um, they, they tend to be really super topical and just, I have learned a lot from them. And I think, and that's why I recommend that if someone has an interest in being a part of it, they should. Um, because it is, it's not just a chance to, to participate, but it is really a chance to learn in a way that you, you don't otherwise when you're just kind of watching something online. Yeah. So I, I joined one and I would say as somebody that has run programs for various technical communities, what I think the benefit is so often people out external, um, audience, they want to connect with some of the internal folks on any, it could be any platform, it could be any technical community, and you don't get that opportunity. And the watercolor, not only does it personalize the people that are behind the scenes, um, no matter what the tech company is, we get to hear all about Pumala's, uh, what she likes to eat, what she's going to have to eat, the lobster and the oyster, it, it humanizes each one of us while also allowing you to talk to some of the more technical people that you may not be able to, to reach out to normally and, and just kind of pick their brain on tech. And it could be across the, the tech options while also just kind of having a good laugh and, and growing your network. So I thought it was really interesting and I'm gonna be joining again, so. Cool. Well, thank you, everyone. Uh, what we're gonna do is uh, once we end the, the stream, uh, We'll download the audio portion, uh, do a little cleaning up, and uh, it'll be shot up into our SoundCloud and Apple podcast. So you can listen to it on your, I want to say on your car ride to work, but um, on your workout, on your treadmill. How about that? Treadmill, or there's nothing stopping anybody from creating their commute. They can hop in their car, pretend they're driving to work. Right. We watch the video again. <laughs> or yes. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Have a great evening, morning, or afternoon. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.